0: Hello and welcome to the latest episode of What the Fintech, the podcast from the team behind Fintech Futures and the Banking Technology Magazine. My name is Paul Hindle, Editor at Fintech Futures, and our guest for this episode is NMD Plus founder and, of course, Fintech Futures columnist, Dave Wallace. How are you? Very well, thank you. Thanks for having me. No worries. It's, uh, It's great to have you here and regular FinTech Futures readers will obviously be aware of your credentials. But before we get started, would you like to quickly introduce
1: yourself and what you've been up to at the moment? So yeah, I'm a essentially a user experience and design professional. I've worked in the banking and finance industry for almost, well, over 25 years. I had an agency which was entirely dedicated to helping banks and financial services companies to deliver great customer experiences. I built that that business up. I sold it to WPP. And after 10 glorious years of kind of working within the the world of WPP, left and founded a small agency called NMD Plus. And with NMD Plus, what we're really looking and focusing on is how to create engagement within digital solutions at a kind of customer level. But I've also, as you say, ended up doing some writing for FinTech Futures and run my own little podcast. And I've become very interested in in the topic that we're going to be discussing today.
0: Excellent. Thanks for that, Dave. Yeah, so I mean, you've touched on it there. With Dave on the show this week, the main topic of discussion will be around the E in ESG, so that'll be environmental concerns and climate change green initiatives as well in the financial services space. We'll be chatting a bit more about what financial institutions can be doing more of to help tackle climate change and new developments in the space a little later in the show. But first, as always, is our news in numbers segment. So this is where our guest has gone out and found a news story featuring an interesting number to discuss and get us started. So Dave, what have you brought along for us today?
1: Well, so I've sort of strayed away slightly from fintech, but uh, you'll sort of see why. We're sat in the middle of a dry spell here in the UK, like many places around the world, we've seen extraordinary temperatures over the last week. And uh, the new story I, I wanted to highlight and dig up was the one that came out last week, which is about a weather map that the UK Met Office created in the year 2020, which showed what temperatures would be like in the UK potentially because of climate change in the year 2050 and most of those numbers that 40 degree number were hit last week and that is 28 years early and I think what was kind of interesting was how that kind of resonated at a kind of news level so this is a story which ran across a number of publications but I think it really highlights the potential problems we're in because of climate change and I just thought as a kind of topic it was worth highlighting but I think you know it's that magic number 40 degrees in the UK which I think has never been reached before and I think it does make people stop and think and, and say well w- what is going on.
0: Yeah it is it is worrying I mean I saw this doing the rounds on Twitter and perhaps foolishly I tend to rely on a bit of Twitter to, to get my, <laughs> my news these days but yeah, I mean, I had a look at some of the comments underneath and you're getting the kind of classic gamut of opinions. on. Yeah, I mean, what's the,
1: it's summer. Come on, what do you expect? Yeah, and I'm like, well...
0: Exactly. It's, it's like one or two days, oh, it's fine. It'll calm down again next week and all this stuff. But yeah, it is concerning. Like you say, I mean, 28 years ahead of schedule by the looks of things. Like you say, I mean, that 40-degree barrier seemed like it was the one to touch. I mean, it, it kind of makes me think in 10 years are we going to be looking at 40 degrees and thinking that was quite cool and actually it's starting to push towards even higher than that right because I mean the the previous heat record was only set in in 2019 so we've already it's only taken three years to break, and it's like
1: I think it's actually when you kind of look at what's going on but not just in the UK but kind of globally I think it really does make you stop and think well actually there might be something going on and I know we're going to go on and chat about this but when I first started looking at climate change as a topic, and how the financial services industry, what it was doing, and how it was leaning in, the thing which I first stumbled across was central bankers around the world have a community, and they talk about climate change. And if you can read what they talk about, one of the things is that what was supposed to happen in 2050 is happening now. And that has really got a bunch of central bankers really really worried and i was like actually if central bankers are worried about this you know forget about joe public these people have access to a lot of information maybe there is something going on and it's something that we have to kind of pay attention to so they you know what i guess that so that was almost 12 months ago and now then read this story and look at the map you go it is pretty frightening maybe 2050 was too optimistic in terms of some of the predictions yeah i mean it kind of reminds me i don't know if you
0: saw that film don't look up yes Netflix, yeah 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 start of the year it kind of reminds me of that right because it's it seems like we're being faced directly with an issue but yet there's still kind of like no i guess direct action or some people still kind of like denying it and moving on and accepting it so where do we go next with that you know it's, well, it's, and it's it, interesting
1: i mean that that there was that bit in don't look up where she's on the news program and she's saying right, like yeah. you can see this thing it's like heading to earth and they're talking i forget what the, but they they have a segment around what's going on with somebody's cat type thing and they go well look you know our job is to be kind of jovial and she's like well that but no your job is to kind of disseminate this information and i think you what you talk about in twitter it sort of felt a bit like that is on one side you've got people going, God almighty, this is this is a real sort of issue. And then a lot of people going, Well, you know, it's summer supposed to be hot, just not taking it particularly seriously. And I think therein lies the kind of climate change dilemma is how do you get people to understand that this is a big thing, you know? And I, I think that's again where I've been fascinated by what's going on in the financial services industry. But it's, it's a really interesting one. And it's interesting, as I say, when you, if you read the, that article in isolation, it's pretty bad. But then if you compare it to what's being written in other places like the US or in India, it gets even more scary, to be honest with you. So I think America's just about to have another heat dome. So they're going to be triple Fahrenheit figures for the the next few days in places where they shouldn't be having those temperatures.
0: We are in part two of the podcast. This is our more interview style section where we focus the discussion into a specific industry topic or sector. Following on nicely from the news and numbers section, we're going to jump into the huge main topic that we have today and try and cover as, as much as we can in the time that we have. To kick off then, Dave, so in the wake of COP26 last year, there's obviously been a lot of talk about hitting net zero targets by certain dates in the future, be it 2030 or 2050 as you already mentioned but a lot of people may look at these times and then think well that's great but then what action is being done I guess so what's your take then on the current banking and financial landscape in this regard and are firms starting to take action?
1: So I think I mean just turning to COP26 I think was the first time where business turned up and particularly the financial services industry turned up with a point of view and I think a lot of that was led by Mark Carney who gathered together a coalition of the financial services industry with a point of view around what was going on, but also a kind of rallying cry around the investment needed around climate change. And I think what happened was there was a kind of pivotal moment in which there was this coalition. And I think actually businesses really sort of started thinking about what was going on. And there was a lot of commitments to the net zero target and reduction of emissions across the time frame of 2030 to 2050. And I think what you've then seen is is actually quite a lot of action starting to happen in, in the industry. So when you and I first started talking about me doing some writing around this, it was not far off 12 months ago, and there was very little kind of evidence of what was actually going on. And now the topic has really hit the mainstream in terms of highlighting and promoting what kind of the industry is doing and I think I guess I realized fairly quickly and many people in the industry have realized is that actually we're going to achieve net zero and achieve these you absolutely need the financial services industry to play its part and I think there's a number of things that the industry really offers it offers kind of scale it offers a massive understanding of technology and how to come out, connect, Consumers and businesses through technology to goals and it's essentially a huge, huge, huge operations as well, which all at the moment are consuming lots and lots and lots of carbon. And also then things like investment. So nothing can be done in the world without the banking industry from a kind of investment point of view. So it really as an industry, I think recognizes it has to be at the forefront of all of these things. And I think, you know, finally, governments are starting to wake up to the need to kind of drive this net zero agenda. And you're seeing it across geographies, across political the political divide as well, an understanding of doing this. But governments can't act and do this stuff without involving financial institutions to actually implement a lot of what's kind of going on. So a small example being in the UK now, government has said that all houses have to be environmentally efficient. And through banks they're sort of penalizing people through higher mortgage rates if they don't have efficient houses so that's just an example where suddenly what you're seeing is the industry becoming an enforcer
0: excellent excellent you mentioned you're starting to notice that firms are taking some some actions so what would you say from your perspective are some of the key actions that banks and fintechs can take when it comes to achieving that zero
1: so i think i mean a great starting point is to understand where emissions sit within their businesses so you have scope one scope two and scope three emissions so scope one are the emissions that they are directly responsible for as, as operations and the buildings that they own and whatever but the majority of where their emissions are are in scope three which is within their kind of value chain so these are emissions that their products and services are as they're delivered to customers or through suppliers are kind of that's where those emissions are happening so I think what banks and the financial services companies and fintech should be looking at is where do our emissions sit in all of these things? So a great example is the software that they use to run their operations. That software all has a carbon footprint. So measuring what that footprint is and trying to reduce the the emissions around that software is a thing that that anybody and any organization can do straight away. And you've got organizations as a small startup called GoCo green where they're measuring the the carbon footprint of software and then they're making recommendations on how to improve it so getting software more efficient and carbon friendly is definitely one thing to do buying electricity from renewable sources is another thing making sure that your data centers are as efficient as possible or What we're seeing is a trend towards banks moving away from on-prem to outsourcing their operations into data centers and that i think is quite a positive thing because it means that the data center providers can really focus on how to reduce the emissions and it's as i say it's thinking about kind of customers and suppliers and all of these things so How do you get your customers to reduce their footprint? That's a, a major thing. And I think, as I said before, banks are going to become increasingly enforcers around this. And I think we're sort of starting to see technology emerge, which enables customers to understand things like their carbon footprint. And they can then act on that information. And that is often tied into what is going on from a kind of banking point of view.
0: Excellent. And you mentioned GoCo Green there. And um, We've actually done a, a feature with GoCo Green actually recently. We did a, one of our reporters did an interview with Eric, uh, the yeah. founder. So if you haven't already read that on the website, please do check it out. But given the amount of research that you've been doing in this area, are there some more interesting green initiatives that you've come across in the space that uh, you can talk about?
1: Yeah. So there's companies, as I mentioned, like Pogo and Ecolytic and Infuse, Another example is the economy where they're actually taking transactional data and starting to assign carbon figures to that transactional data and then playing that back to the end customer with then advice around what to do about that. So I think NatWest has just launched uh, with or fairly recently launched carbon footprinting with Kogo. So customers of NatWest are able to have a look on as well as their transactions, see what their transactions equate to in terms of their carbon footprint. So, I mean, I think that's a really powerful example where the scale of the customers of financial services are being co-opted into thinking about their carbon footprint, because I think what we see is that Average consumer wants to, they understand that they need to reduce their footprint, but they're not in a position to really understand what that means. So that's a great example of how somebody coming in and or companies coming in and and making sense of that figure, delivering that figure to people, and then providing education around opportunities, be that like moving your electricity to a renewable company, a, a renewable provider, or changing your car, your vehicle to an EV, or using public transport a lot more, etc. A lot of these things can be sort of like tea leaves discovered from things like your transactional data, and you can grab advice around that. So I think that's a, a really good example of, I guess, the power of financial services. And if you're a bank, be it a neo or a traditional one, it's exactly this functionality that I think you should be thinking about kind of putting in
0: and do you think banks are, are doing enough then in terms of that communication side of things to get across kind of like green initiatives to, to the customers and promote those initiatives to the customers as well
1: it's a great question i think the problem for banks is they're slightly stuck between a, a number of things so they have to think about that sort of thin line between promoting this stuff and then being accused of greenwashing and i think that's a real problem so I think some of them are starting to do a good job of communicating this. So, for example, I was talking to d Bank, which is based out of Norway, and they essentially are have set up ESG data hub, of which the E-bit is a very important part of what they're doing. And in essence, what they're doing is making sense of the EU taxonomies and targets that the UN are kind of putting in place, and then wrapping measures around those and ensuring a systematic way of viewing those things so customers can then input their data and see it in a way that makes sense but across the sort of industries that they're in and they are being really good at communicating the benefits of these things to their customers and why this is a good thing because what they're saying is if you use our system a we can make better lending decisions, but B, you can use it to make sense of what's going on from a kind of E point of view. So again, go back to banks are in a very interesting place. So, you know, I think what D&B are trying to do is, is help customers by making sense of regulation around all of this stuff. Because I think regulation is coming and it's going to become quite tricky. So that's a great example where there's positive communication. But I do think this whole thing around greenwashing gets many of these institutions worried about like, if we put our head above the parapet, then what's going to kind of happen to us in terms of accusations around greenwashing. And frankly, many of them are still heavily invested in the carbon industries and they continue to invest and continue to grow that investment. And I think trying to square that circle is quite a tricky one to be honest with you. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, what I was going to mention is we speaking to a lot of friends and like that one of the things that they get frustrated by sometimes is they can be as as climate conscious as they want and they can start using all these energy efficient light bulbs and things like that but then they'll get frustrated by other big companies then might put up a factory that completely negates anything good that's, that's being done kind of thing so do you i mean you mentioned it there a lot of these companies do end up investing in the carbon industry do you think they should be held more responsible than when it comes to the investments and and third-party suppliers and just ensuring that partners and funding is following kind of ESG, strong ESG practices.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think if you've set your target for net zero 2050, then you have to be more on your game around what that means for your investment. I think we all understand that decarbonizing rapidly could be a massive issue for the world. So you can't go from an oil-based economy to a renewable-based economy just like that. But mm-hmm. you know, I've got a sneaking suspicion with the oil prices and gas prices rising that that will be driving investment decisions at the moment. And that's financial decisions rather than kind of ESG-based decisions. And I think where people are making those decisions, that should be highlighted and they should be called out for that sort of thing. So... I think transparency is critical, so making sure that these organisations are really talking to their customers about accountability around all of this stuff. So, so going back to my example around Kogo and NatWest and putting carbon footprinting into bank, I mean, I think that's a, it's a great kind of... But you could argue, well, that's pushing all responsibility to the end consumer, and I think that's not the right thing to be doing. That's part of the solution. So if I was a consumer I'd be exactly as you're saying, you'd want to know, well, what is the bank doing more broadly to decarbonize around institutional investment? So yeah, I think having a more holistic way of talking about these things and reporting these things I think is super critical. And I think it's gonna to come, to be honest with you, because let's not forget that you've then got the investment industry, which is is all about sorting out investments in what's going on. So the investment industry is screaming out for more transparency as well. So they want to be able to tell their customers that actually what you're investing in is a asset which is truly net zero or ESG compliant or whatever it is. And actually getting those measures is, is quite tricky. I think that sort of transparency is going to come and it will be, honestly, will be driven a lot by governments as well. So I think the EU in particular is very strong in terms of coming out with taxonomies around these things and i think what the eu do we will undoubtedly follow and you could argue we're sort of already there and the us will do as well so you mentioned like
0: regulations there as well and we won't dive too much into that but one of the things that you've touched on there as was well that standardized reporting of esgs well do you see that coming in relatively soon and in terms of i guess being pushed in like as you mentioned by governments
1: yeah i think it has to i mean it again it depends on political will at the end of the day. You know, So this will vary across geographies, I guess. But I think it will happen. I think governments have access to enough information to realise that climate change is a fundamental issue. So, you know, if you're the UK government, you're going to be looking at, well, what the hell happens if the world does warm in the way that these central bankers are telling me it's going to warm, not just the climate scientists. And you can see that it will be disastrous for countries at fiscal level, habitation level. So economics will end up driving what happens from a regulation point of view, rather than people worrying about us all boiling in the ocean, so to speak. So I think that economic imperative will start driving what really happens. And I think you're kind of starting to see that already kind of kicking in, to be honest with you. So as I say that The UK government, in fairness to them, are saying all houses need to be eco efficient and we will penalise all those houses which aren't eco efficient by saying it's going to cost you more money to get a mortgage against that property. And I think that's a really interesting move because that will then force the end consumer to make changes and it forces the institutions to. So it's kind of starting and it's coming into play. So you've wrote recently
0: in your column about uh, carbon coins and the use of crypto to make a kind of carbon currency. Can you discuss a little bit more about that?
1: Yeah, so there's a startup based out of Sydney called Beta Carbon, and I think they are doing is taking Australian carbon credits and tokenizing those so you can actually invest in the carbon credits directly. And the reason they've done that is because in Australia, a carbon credit is given for carbon removal. So what they see is the opportunity to use the tokenized coins to actually make uh, carbon removal interesting investment opportunity. And I think it's a really, really interesting idea of actually taking this notion of carbon, which I think is is very abstract to most people, and actually making it a reality through things like investment vehicles. And I think this is a is a great example where Web3 technologies and I think beta carbon based on the Ethereum platform can actually put removal into the carbon removal into people's hands. So it, in essence, what you're investing in is kind of green projects in Australia. And I guess what's great about the, the beta carbon thing is it what you're investing in is government signed off certificates for carbon removal.
0: Excellent. And... Just quickly before moving on, then I mean the environmental impact of of crypto is often discussed as a big, <laughs> a big negative uh, aspect of that. Yeah. So I mean, what do you think needs to change in in that industry well, as a whole? To, you know, look,
1: companies. I mean, it's yeah. I mean, I, I heard this horrifying statistic, which was the reason China got rid of crypto mining or Bitcoin mining was it was sucking up something like one to two percent of China's entire electricity. And I'm like, well, that's mm that's just so extraordinary so you're right i mean it's a real issue i think what the industry is trying to do is to create efficiencies and look at the way it's doing things so and i think it is kind of responding in the way it needs to i think you will see over the, the next sort of 12 months that the whole crypto market becomes a lot more efficient in the way it kind of does things whether bitcoin can kind of catch up with that i just don't know to be honest with you but certainly the some of the newer currencies are much more efficient and have been designed to be much more efficient. I guess this whole dilemma around, you know, we we work in fintech and um, we're promoting technology and technology seems to be the thing which is creating emissions left, right and centre. You know, it's a big, big part of kind of global emissions. So I think the industry has to kind of work together to kind of create efficiencies in these things.
0: Mm -hmm. So... Just quickly to, to wrap up and looking to the future, then, are you optimistic when we look down um, kind of like at the, the financial industry and, and bringing down emissions as a whole?
1: Yeah, no, I think it, I think it's absolutely. A few things is there needs to be kind of a lot more collaboration around initiatives. So one of the things I, I've been musing on sort of recently is that like so much of the work we do in the industry is just wasted. Like talk to banks, you talk to fintechs and you kind of have all these innovation cycles and they're all trying to do, you know, you end up going, well, a lot of this stuff just ends up in the bin, basically. So what I think will happen and what I hope will happen, there'll be a lot more collaboration across things. And and actually, you know, I sort of wonder how many fintechs do you actually need to solve one particular problem? I think there'll be a kind of, well, we're sort of seeing it now with what's going on from a kind of economic point of view you'll see harmonization around ideas and products and services as people realize that actually a number of things creates an enormous amount of wastage in the industry. So I think that will happen. I think there'll be much more transparency around investments. I think companies that do greenwash or offset their way out of the problem will be kind of called out more and more. And I think you'll see... As consumers become more and more anxious about what's going on, I think they will kind of kick back against these institutions and hold them to account. And I think, as I say, that ultimately governments realise that there's an economic imperative around net zero, not just doing it because they think it's a nice idea. They're doing it because they see that there will be an economic calamity to countries if we don't do this thing. And I think the more they get businesses focused around that, the better. And I think That will happen. So I think there's a real opportunity for the industry to kind of drive change.
0: Here we are in part three of the podcast, and this is the Fintech Jail section. So this is where we ask for an industry term, buzzword or trend that our guest has seen or heard enough of. We'll then debate whether it deserves a place in the jail or if it's already there, whether it needs an extended sentence. Or, of course, one of I guess can argue to free the previously incarcerated terms. So, Dave,
1: what buzzword or training topic do you wish to discuss today? Again, I'm going to move beyond the kind of realms of fintech and the, the word I would have put into jail is offsetting because I think if if we're going to achieve what we need to achieve, then offsetting needs to become a basically a banned word.
0: Right. So what's it about offsetting then that you're you're not keen on?
1: The problem is if you have an offset mindset, then you're doomed from the start. So offsetting should be the last thing that you do when you've exhausted everything else in terms of emission reduction. My suspicion is is that many companies who signed up to doing the net zero target will effectively what they will be doing is saying, well, look, we'll just offset our way out. It's just it's much easier to do this. There's plenty of projects out there where we could offset our carbon And, yeah, we can still claim we've reached net zero. And I think, to me, if that's your mindset, then, you know, we're all doomed, to be honest with you. Offsetting has to be the the last thing that you kind of do after you've exhausted everything else. I'm not saying it shouldn't be let out of jail every now and then for a kind of walk in the park. Absolutely, it has its place. But it has its place at the end of the line. So I really do think it's something which should just become quite a dirty word, to be honest with you
0: mm-hmm i mean i've seen it used in contexts like offsetting programs and stuff by right, where you look at tree planting programs and things like that if it was stuck in the jail it would just disappear from these kind of things so
1: but i think that the word offsetting at the moment represents what you're describing which is tree plant, you know so if you take a flight you can then offset the carbon Value of that flight. If you've ever done that, have you looked at what projects? Are, have you, do you understand what is kind of go? Because I've got this real dilemma in my head, which is like I want to reduce my carbon footprint, but I still want to go on holiday. So therefore, I will do carbon offsetting. But I've got a family of seven, and I worked out that if I was to fly my family of seven to New York and back, we would have to plant seventy-seven trees or something like that. It's, it's even more than that. It's like a small forest would have to be planted. Now. If I went onto the BA website, that would have cost me, I think it would have cost me 200 quid or something like that. I know that's, if you're going to plant 200 trees, like let's assume that half of those trees get eaten by deer, you know, half die of the various diseases. which sort of. So you plant 200 trees to get to the point where there's a carbon offset, you probably need to plant 1,000. So it's sort of, the more you kind of dig into it, the more you think, well, actually, it's a way of us, getting over our guilt rather than solving a real problem. So, I don't know, one of the articles I wrote it's like if we want to go on holiday, say you want to go to Thailand or a nice place, if you go for 2 weeks, one week of that should be planting mangroves. So you're actually properly in the in the water, in the weeds, planting trees and making up for the sin of the of the plane travel. I think it's just too easy. And I think we can come up with a new term around what we want, which is a kind of positive action. just feels like offsetting is too too damaged already.
0: Sure. No, that makes sense. I think you've made a good case for that one. So I, I'm, I'm happy to I'm happy to cast it away. Like you right. said, maybe it can be on a day release every now and then. Of the Absolutely. A good, a good Absolutely. usage for it. And obviously, there's anyone listening who wants to come on it and fight for offsetting to, to break it back out of the jail. There's always that opportunity. But I think for now, yeah, we can cast it away for sure. Right. well that's all we have time for for this episode thanks of course to dave for joining me as for fintech futures you can find us online at www.fintechfutures.com, on twitter at fintech futures and of course on linkedin if you like this podcast and our other episodes you can subscribe on apple podcasts spotify soundcloud or your favorite podcasting service to get notified about future episodes as always thank you very much for your support and we'll see you again soon for another episode of what the fintech but until then goodbye